Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and I sure missed you guys from last week. I'm glad that you're joining us again here. I love doing these shows every Tuesday and Wednesday because the longer we do these shows, the better and better quality of guests we get for you. Not that we've really had any bad guests. I wouldn't say that at all. But, you know, the, the more we do this show, the more people see it, the more they support it. And the more they want to come on and sit down and, and have a conversation with us, right? So I'm very happy to have that. Uh, folks, we've got some great events coming up for Cannabis Lab. I am actually putting together a panel at the end of this month on the 25th. It is going to be about the companies that are expanding into the Florida market and the importance of Florida in the overall cannabis landscape. Very excited about that panel. Uh, so that will be on March 25th. We also have an in-person event coming up. I want to say it is on the 18th, and, and Rob's going to kill me again. I've got to look and confirm that. I'll do that before the end of the show, but we get the, you that information. Of course, because I can't remember anything, you can always go to joinclab.com to find out everything you need to know, when all our events are, become a member of C-Lab. Also, folks, if you missed any of our episodes, we had a great episode with Tim Schuler last week of the Detroit Fudge Company in Canalicious out of Michigan. I'm a fan of the Michigan market. I'm excited what a lot of brands are doing there. You can check that out at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. All of our shows will be there. Please, if you like the show, please, please, please go subscribe. We are trying to increase the audience for this show. We are trying to make sure that we can continue to bring this to you and expand the show, get great guests, start doing some more interactive stuff. And that all starts with your little like and subscription right there. So with that being said, I told you I was going to start in these intros. Clearly, I've lied to you. But I'm very excited for today's guest because uh, I was, how do I stay vague about this? I mean, obviously I announced who it was before this, but I found this person through his brother. Like I would say many of us did, but when I actually digged into his past and everything else, it, it was amazing. The things that he had accomplished, just the journey itself, right? When we look at the stereotypes and the stigma around cannabis, if you looked at this gentleman's past on paper, you wouldn't imagine that he has the resume that he has today because society tells us that that doesn't happen, right? He should be lazy. He shouldn't have a job. There are a lot of things about him, but I'm very happy with today's guest because I think he, like his brother, a great blend of the cannabis, uh, cannabis enthusiast, cannabis activist, cannabis professional, and the corporate world. And, and I think that is part of his journey to help bridge that gap. So if you haven't figured it out by now, please welcome my guest today, one of the co-founders of Harborside, one of the co-founders of The Last Prisoner Project. I can probably spend another five minutes going through all of his titles. Please welcome the great Andrew D'Angelo. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks. It's great to be with Cannabis Lab and, and you today, Todd, and um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. No, man, I, the, the pleasure is all mine. You know, it's when I joined the cannabis industry a year ago, and I, I don't want to make this the theme of this podcast that you're Steve's brother, because you're so much more than that. But, you know, Steve was very front and center at a lot of the events that I went to. So I had not discovered you yet. And I told you when I was doing my due diligence for that, I, I saw an episode, a podcast episode with you and him talking. And when I actually asked Steve about that, he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of people said that maybe we shouldn't keep that up because it got very personal and everything else. And I'm like, Steve, that was my favorite part. It was just such a raw, real conversation about your childhood and to see where you guys have ended up. I thought it was great insight. I I've got to ask you because with these long form podcasts, right? We, we tend to start opening up because you don't have that much to talk. Do you guys talk like that 
often, like when you get together, are you reminiscing about the past and just the memories and all those experiences that led you to where you are today? Well, sometimes we do that. My brother and I are pretty obsessed with the present and the future. So we talk about that uh, more often than not, but we do have rituals, you know, um, you know, we celebrate, um, our parents passed in the last five years. So we, we celebrate uh, them every year. And, and um, uh, we talk a lot about, we're, we're, ta- we're discussing doing more of the autobiographical storytelling that you, that you liked so much in that podcast. So yes, we are talking about sharing more of that with the world. But yeah, man, when we gather and smoke joints together on the weekends or you know, over the holidays or just uh, a little bit more virtual, virtually these days, the last year or so, uh, we go, we go deep into the past. We've, we've done a lot together over, over 35, 40 years. And um, it's, it's fun to revisit some of those um, journeys together. It's all, it all becomes one thing after a while when, when, when you're, when you're in a rock and roll band like me and my brother are together um, for as long as we've been, um, it's the music changes, you know, over the decades and the sound gets tighter, hopefully. <laughs> um, and, and um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sure we have periods where the sound gets a little looser. Um, but, you know, we're, we're our sounds pretty tight these days. And um, and it's been just a marvelous journey. Um, when people say refer to me uh, as as Steve's brother, it's it's not something I take offense to at all. It's it's something I'm very proud of, and certainly I I, I, I emerging from his shadow is important too. Um, but um, it's it, it it being Steve's little brother's been a, a, a real fun adventure for me. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, I I think you've fully emerged from a shadow with everything that you're involved with, right? Um, all the, the 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 film projects that you're working on, being a part of Global Go, um, the reviews that you do on Instagram, they're all great. And I think you've really established yourself, not that you need to hear that from me, but establish yourself as Andrew D'Angelo, as, you know, someone who helped legitimize the business side of this industry, at least to, to the point that it can be now. So, you know, I certainly appreciate that. It's interesting looking at your story. I, I, I always try to find similarities in my past to, to people in this industry and, and elsewhere. Right. And I find it very intriguing that you were very kind of against cannabis until a certain point in your life, because you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to be a professional tennis player, professional athlete. And I remember, you know, growing up, I played sports, I played football, and I, I stayed away from that stuff, too, because I, I didn't know that I'd be a professional athlete, but I, I'm like, I'm an athlete. I can't do that kind of stuff. And it's interesting now that we're in a point in time when we're starting to hear from the athletes and they're like, no, we want cannabis. It's so much better. So, I, you know, I get to talk to Ricky Williams pretty often, and he's the biggest advocate of saying if I was able to use cannabis during my tenure in the NFL, I would have never left and I probably would have played better. Do you find that ironic that it kind of what kept you away from cannabis? We're all trying to infuse that into sports now. It's kind of come full circle. Well, sure. Of course, I was totally wrong as a, as a young kid and an athlete. But, you know, I also was influenced a lot by my parents and, you know, my parents were 
traumatized by my brother raising as much hell as he did when he was young. My brother got locked up, you have to understand, when he was 18 or 19. That was very traumatizing. My parents, it was traumatizing for me. I was only nine or 10 years old. I had to go visit him in jail and all that sort of thing. So my perception of my brother, you know, was clouded by by all those experiences and, and our age difference. So, um, but when I did get to hang out with him as a kid, he was always very honest about what he did. And he never hid the fact that he was a weed dealer at, at, or a weed consumer. And so I grew up with that. And so when he got locked up, it didn't make any sense to me because that world he occupied seemed like a good world to me as a child um, before he got locked up. I didn't necessarily want to be a part of it, you know, because I was trying to do the sports thing, make my dad happy um, a little bit. And um, and just I had I had certain athletic skills, not great athletic skills, not good enough athletic skills to be a professional athlete. Very few people are blessed with um, that kind of athletic skill and discipline and training, all the things you need to come together for, for, to be a professional athlete. But I had enough that I wanted to play around with being an athlete in, in high school and see what I could do with my body on, in, in, in space. So, and I really enjoyed just the game itself. My, my sport was tennis and, and I just, and just enjoyed running around, whacking that ball as hard as I could. And, 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 and you, you sort of get in this zone when you play tennis and when you're at uh, an equal level with somebody, or maybe they're a little better than you. Um, and you can get in this very strange and wonderful zone with that person when, when you're playing with them, like you can with a lot of sports, right? I mean, team sports, you get in the zone as a team and you, you learn how to move together as a team. And, and the more you do that, the more you win, the more successful you are. Even if the individuals on the team may, may not have tremendous talent alone, but together they may be quite great. So, um, and, and you get into these, that's one of the things that cannabis taught me. Um, one of the things that was familiar with cannabis for me coming out of sports, cause I was hurt and I was, my brother's trying to get, get, uh, give me some pain relief with, with that first joint I decided to take with him. Um, uh, but, uh, um, you know, um, it, it gave me, it, it was familiar in the sense that it, it put me in a zone, you know, put me in that yeah. stoned, intoxicated zone of, of euphoria and hope and inspiration and, 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 and just blown, being blown away by the life force and nature and all those things that happen when you get turned on to cannabis and maybe when you're a teenager and those things are even more profound, uh, at least they were for me. So, um, so that was familiar. And then later when I studied theater arts and, 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 and storytelling, that's a whole nother zone you get into, right. As, as a storyteller. So, so let, let me interrupt you there. Right. So that, that's something that I'm very intrigued with as well, too, because being an athlete, you know, especially in, in high school, the stereotypes we see in teen movies are not completely inaccurate. Right. So it's maybe today it's a little bit different, but I know when I went to school, when you went to school, you know, you were, you played sports, you were a jock and the jocks typically weren't in the drama department, which is funny because again, look for those similarities. 
I was an artist. I love to draw. I love to create. I love to, I still love to do storytelling, which is why I ended up doing this show. So I was a rarity in, in the athletic world. Were you always kind of, did you always have that creative arts mentality, even though you were an athlete? Because again, that is a rare combination of person that has both of those interests and it continues to, to pursue both, you know, into high school and maybe beyond if you didn't get injured. So was that part of your personality? Or let me ask this, did cannabis kind of open that up for you and make you realize like, I love this stuff. I should focus on it. Well, it's a really interesting, my creative journey is really interesting and it's all of those things. So my mom was a creative, very creative person. She, she studied journalism when I was a little kid. She went back to school after my parents split up and she studied journalism and became a professional writer and copy editor um, for a while. So I was influenced by her. I also went to a Waldorf school um, for the first few years of my elementary school. I went to a Rudolf Steiner Waldorf private school. And that school is centered around the arts and uh, foreign languages. Unfortunately, I got yanked out of that school when my parents split up and they couldn't decide who was gonna pay the tuition, that, you know, divorce kind of kills things like private education. But, um, uh, but that kind of planted this creative seed in me, you know, and then I, I, then I was an athlete and I was sort of making my dad happy and, um, uh, and I, I turned away from creativity. And then when I smoked that joint with my brother, it all came crashing back and bloomed again. And um, I enrolled in my first drama class in high school shortly after that. Um, uh, and and started exploring that side of myself again. So the cannabis, I had sort of creative bug planted in me when I was young, and and then the cannabis sort of of, of gave it the water and nutrients it needed to bloom. And to this day, you know, that's where I have. I'm sure you're the same way. I mean. It, our creative work is really important to us is where we have the most fun and the most passion, even though we lose a lot of money on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. It's interesting. You know, for me, what cannabis did is it got me out of my own head where it was, you can put stuff out there that you're not, you know, from, it's interesting. A lot of people say they're perfectionists, but really they're just afraid of, of other people judging their work, right? And putting it out there for people to judge. And I think that's where cannabis really sparked the creative in me, where it was, I, you know, someone had asked me to do something like this a long time ago when I was, you know, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, it was on a different topic. It was on technology. That's where I was working at the time, probably been a whole lot, a lot more boring, but it was when I got into cannabis and, you know, started thinking about it where it's like, Hey, there are a lot of people who do this that I don't think are that good and they're confident and they're putting it out there and they're successful. So why not just put it out there and see what happens? So it's interesting how it unlocks that part of your brain and almost gives you a confidence where it's like, no, I'm going to put it out there just like everybody else. And if it sucks, then I know I shouldn't be doing it. But if it gets a reception or even if it sucks, that just sucked. And the next one I'm going to do is not bad. So it's interesting how it unlocks that and helps you be more creative and realize that, you know, you can create stuff and some's going to be amazing and some's going to be a little bit lackluster, but as long as you're doing what you love, you're eventually going to get to that great stuff. You know, for me as, as an outsider looking at your life, and again, that's just with the media available to me, 
I feel like once you started to get involved in the cannabis world, and, and I'm going to use your ter terminology where you say you and Steve were, were trading cannabis, right? Um, it, it kind of allowed you to explore yourself because you didn't, you know, I don't want to skirt this, kind of want to sound negative. You didn't have to get a, what would say a traditional job where you had to go to a place and work. So I feel like you were able to explore your creativity, you know, being a, a cannabis trader, you have to get creative in the way that you do business as well too. So I feel like in reality, that was truly a benefit to you because you kind of got to explore who you were as a person before you figured out what you wanted to do. Would you, would you say that kind of helped your journey that way? In the long run, yes. The problem was in the 1980s and 90s when I was coming up as a young creative, I, 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 and I, if you were loud and proud about being a weed trader and a weed activist, it hurt your ability to earn a living as a creative. The stigma was just pretty profound, especially in a place, a small niche kind of creative place like the American Theater, or maybe I did a lot of independent film. You know, there was a big independent film movement in the late 80s and the early 90s, the whole DIY. That's when Sundance started and all those film festivals started. And um, so I was a little bit part of those early um, creative efforts on the DIY film scene. And, um, you know, it was really hard to break through uh, to pay gigs um, uh, because I guess people who, you know, we're paying creatives to make more mainstream material. We're afraid to, that they would be stoned all the time or they wouldn't show up or whatever the stigma was, whatever the lie was, they believed. They didn't know they were believing a lie, perhaps, or maybe they did, but um, I knew they were believing a lie and I'm like, <laughs> come on. Um, uh, so actually the cannabis trail ended up being a place I could make a, a, a better, much better living and be myself more. Um, and then you're right that then, then, you know, I was able to cultivate my, uh, find my own path. That's, um, a, the road less traveled, not so much the mainstream world um and and get the creativity out there we're still beating on the mainstream door yeah. <laughs> uh to get our content uh uh made um so and we'll see if we ever get through that that um but in any case it's like you said the journey is is more important than the destination and it's 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 just part of what I, who i am what i'm about and why it matters is 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 a we have to change people from the inside out and we have to move people in their hearts. That, that's how we're going to, that's really the way we're gonna spread cannabis all over the world. So um, storytelling is a really great way to do that. And of course the cannabis itself is a great way to do that too. Right? Yeah. I feel like they definitely go hand in hand, cannabis and storytelling, you know, one certainly complements the other. Um, you know, it, it, what interests me a lot is you and your brother kind of stayed a path and ended up, and I'll give you guys some of this credit. I know there are more than just you two, but you really kind of started changing the world and especially, you know, starting with this country. Right. But looking back, you know, and I've heard you do a ton of interviews saying that your parents were, were worried about you falling in Steve's footprints prints, or, or him influencing you. Right. And especially back then, because you're so far away from where we are today that, you have the stigma, you have everything else. Obviously, they're worried about both their sons ending up in jail when 
now we can look at it and see it now that you guys have accomplished what you've accomplished and we see where we are today that you really did start changing the world and the world's view on cannabis. You guys very much participated in that. So, you know, I'm interested to know, and I hope I'm not getting too personal here, the conversations that you would have with your mom and dad, you know, more recently before they had passed about your journey and about what you guys were doing when it's, you know, Hey, and maybe you laugh about it. Maybe you don't, but it's like, you know, you guys were worried about us going to jail and here we are, we're, we're pioneers in an industry where being, you know, given lifetime achievement awards and everything else. And you guys have inspired, I would say an entire another generation to think that cannabis is okay. And not only is okay, that it's appropriate. Right. And I, I think you guys did a very, you're very much at the center of that, at least from a media standpoint. And that's very important because that's who we're seeing and that's who we're believing. And, you know, you guys inspire people like me to do things like this, to hopefully inspire more people. So when you look back on it, you, you went down a very hard path, but it ended up being the right one. So, you know, I'm interested to see what the family's take on that was on, you know, more recently. Well, I'm probably the accomplishment I'm most proud of is the journey that my family took. Cause you know, we, we had, my parents are, we had a brother in between me and Steve named Daniel and he died when I was an infant. Steve was just 11 years old, 12 years old. And um, that devastated my family. Um, and a couple of years later, my parents split. Uh, so that was another uh, really uh, hard thing. And then my brother got into weed and a revolution and ran away from home. <laughs> well, didn't really run away from home, but left home. Uh, and that was another uh, traumatic blow uh, to my family. So, and, and, and my parents were legitimately afraid we were going to go to jail for the rest of our lives for a long, long period of time. And they already had had a son die. Uh, and so to, to think that, so of course they <laughs> were against Steve being in the weed business and me later. Uh, and we're not happy with it, um, but it was also a complicated relationship because my mom, you know, we had to help support my mom, you know, and we did that with weed um, after the divorce. That's how, and my brother did that first, and then we did it together, and, and that's just a fact. <laughs> um, so she had a very complex relationship with it all because she, she had to survive from this trade that we were we were my brother and then me we were both in but she also had to try to protect us from going to prison and 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 voice her opposition to it and she she would always say things like you could do whatever you want you can make this money that you're making and giving me any way you want you're so smart why are you doing this why are you why are you risking everything like this and and so we would have these long discussions and arguments and, and sometimes uh, 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 voices would be raised and, you know, fights would occur, um, verbal, verbal fights, of course. Uh, and we'd have disagreements. Uh, and, you know, with, my father was even more adamant again. He knew what we were doing. Eventually we were so successful, we had to confess to him see if he could help us deal with all the cash we had at one point. But, um, but my dad never did. He, 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 he was adamantly trying to be a good dad in his eyes. Yeah. Being a good dad meant you said, no, you didn't, you didn't encourage it. You, you, 
you were getting, and later in life, both my parents, after we got out of our teens and out of our 20s, and we were able to legalize medical, and we were able to open up a legal business, then my parents, and they got older, and they got their own aches and pains, on their own health struggles, and, you know, we had this medicine. So, by the end of my parents' life, the last five or 10 years of, of, of their lives, both of them were taking cannabis medicine uh, and were fully, they actually financed Harborside opening. We sold my mom's house. You know, after my brother got busted, we lost everything. My parents, we went through this whole trauma and you know, our Hail Mary was Harborside and we sold my mom's house. We took the money from the house. We opened up Harborside. We borrowed more money from my dad. He was okay with it because it was a legal business. Um, although he charged us a hefty percentage. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> um, and, um, and so, you know, they helped finance it uh, by that point, you know? And so this whole arc happened where you know, we began in this very dark, prohibited place of conflict and strife and my brother sort of pioneering all this and then me coming on board and the voice of the two brothers together, the band was, you know, <laughs> a lot stronger. <laughs> um, and, you know, we were able to legalize, we with a whole bunch, like you said, a whole community of people, a whole village of people, many, 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 many people, too many people to name here, but, um, and, you know, our family, even though my parents never came back together again, everybody was at peace. Um, and we said everything we need to say to each other. And um, we loved each other. My parents never really forgave each other, unfortunately, but everybody else did. And, you know, my, our, both of our parents died at home in our arms, I, you know, so it, it could have turned out so much worse than that. And, um, and, you know, I, I personally did a lot of work to glue that all back together as a kid. That was one of my roles in the family was to sort of glue it all back together and teach everybody how to cooperate again. Um, uh, uh, and, and so it's, it, it, to this day, it's it, it really everything I've achieved that, 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 that is probably the, the greatest and most important achievement, right? Is your own family being at peace with itself. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, just the short conversation we've already had today. And again, I, I'm, I'm no therapist or anything else. I'm married to one. Trust me, I, I hear it all the time. <laughs> but, you know, just talking about growing up and, and making your mom happy and making your dad happy and, and loving your brother and idolizing him. And, you know, it sounds like that was almost a secondary, which became the primary lifelong journey of yours is, is to pull the family back together because you guys went Again, I know what I know from the media, but it sounds like you went through some really rough times that not a lot of families go through. And, you know, it was a journey that ultimately ended up paying off for you and Steve. And I'm glad that you were able to kind of complete that that initiative that you had to, to bring everybody together while, you know, you got to build, I won't call it an empire yet, but you guys built a, a legal industry on your backs with, with your brother of all people. So I imagine, you know, that's got to feel great. And then the fact that the family was able to make peace before you know, while everyone was still here, I'm sure that that just really completes it for you. Oh, yeah. My parents got to see a good portion of that success. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget my father came up 
to, to all my, all my, my parents came to New York when we did our media tour for Weed Wars, which was the first reality TV show about a cannabis company, legal cannabis company. And um, we did the Bill O'Reilly show and we did the Dylan Radigan show. And we're doing all this giant media, you know, and, and um, my dad came up and he's so proud and he's in the green room, you know, we're bringing him in with, he's, he's coming with us and he's sitting in the green room. He's like, God, this is big time guys, you guys, this is big time. Uh, and he kept saying that over and over. And, um, and it just felt really good to, to be there with him and share that with him and be able to have him there uh, with us when, when we did that. Uh, um, That's and, cool. You know, super special. I give you credit. I, I probably would have started just taking little jabs here and there, you know, that this is incredible. Not bad for a couple of weed dealers, huh, Dad? <laughs> oh no, we did, we did. Of course, we did. And um, uh, uh, you know, we we we're we're a bunch of Italians, so we 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 have lively discussions and lots of humor and jokes, and we like to give each other a hard time. But um, uh, but you know, he was there. He was there. You know, how many? You know, with all this terrible war that's happened in our country over yeah. this planet, you know. He was, and he, my dad, you know, he grew up in the depression. He got drafted in the Korean war. He went into work for the government. He was about the system, man. He, he wasn't about rebellion. He was about the system. All right. Yeah. He was about being an American. He was a first generation. He, 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 he grew up in the depression. He grew up poor. The Salvation Army had to come to his house during Christmas time. That's how my dad grew up. So, so he was all about the system, you know, and, yeah. and yet when we're doing, when we're legalizing weed and doing this media tour, he's not only there for us, he's given us advice. I mean, building Harvard, my dad was a great businessman, entrepreneur and, and, and very accomplished. He, he's taught us how to do all that. Um, and he gave us our most important advice and um, really, you know, without my dad all, all next to us during those first decade of, of Harborside, we would not have been able to make as good of decisions as we did. It must've been so much fun just having your family close to you while you're, while you're doing this and going on this journey. And, you know, I, I circle back to what I said before about you inspiring a new generation of people. You know, when I, when I read your, your goals with Harborside, right. Part of the reason why I personally got my medical card here in Florida was to be able to buy it, like, and I say this, like a human being, to walk into a store, to have an actual transaction, for it to be a store with people who want to help you. You know, I've got some crazy stories of, of buying on the black and gray markets, and I don't need to get into those. I've probably told them a few times here, but they weren't comfortable. They weren't fun. And, you know, something about the experience of going into us, just, just having it in a store. And then, you know, with you and Steve taking it further with Harborside, that you wanted a true point of sale system. You wanted barcodes on the products. I really look back at it and feel like you guys kind of set the standard for what a dispensary needs to be and, and realize that this industry is just like anything else. This is a retail store. Just any other retailer you would go into, we want you to have the same experience, but we're going to educate you on something that may change your life. You know, how important was that customer experience? I mean, is that the whole intention with Harborside is we're going to bring a legitimate customer experience to the cannabis industry. And that is how we're going to mainstream cannabis. I imagine that had to be the thought. That was the genius of my brother, really, that of his vision and 
not just the vision for the retail store, but the strategy at that time. At that time, California was the only legal um, medical state. Uh, the city of Oakland was the only place that in California that had a licensing program. Uh, so it was important that we do a good job. It was really important we did a good job so that other places could follow the example of Oakland and license in California and then other places. So it was the intention, Steve's intention from the beginning that we were going to do that with, with creating a, a, I don't want to say mainstream retail experience because it wasn't a mainstream retail experience. It was more of a, a, a nonprofit community cannabis center um, than it was, you know, a traditional retail experience, but we wanted the, the look and feel and form to um, act like a traditional retail experience. And then you would have all these different um, zones. <laughs> I like that word zone. Um, zones um, where you could do different things within the complex, the Harborside complex. You could write a letter to a prisoner. You could get, uh, 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 you could take a yoga class. You could take oh, a wow. free, you could, you could take a free, uh, cultivation, how to grow your own medicine class. You could get free weed if you were poor. Um, and you, you know, showed us that you were under public assistance. Um, so it was more of a community center. And, and, um, uh, and so that's what we wanted to create. And, and, and now to this day, even, even with the adult use and, and cannabis getting a little bit more transactional, I guess you could say. Um, but a lot of the things we pioneered are now part of just about every dispensary you go into. Uh, the way yeah. it's laid out, the, the way the displays work, the way the counters work, the way the flow works um, uh, is, 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 is very much modeled off of what we, and we just had to learn, we just had to discover and learn. And we weren't, we weren't retail people. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so we, 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 we you know, the, we, we had to kind of figure it out. Uh, and I think a lot of people probably have taken it to another level now, you know, in the industry um, who are retail people. Um, uh, and, and so, but, but yeah, um, that's exactly that, 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 that was exactly the intention. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to, to you guys getting started at Harborside. I know that, you know, the parents were involved, you and Steve. And so you have this creative background, you, you, you're trading cannabis, you know, how much business experience did you have leading into this? Because I know that you were responsible for the day-to-day -day operations. So not only, you know, does Andrew, the entrepreneur have the toughest, you know, the challenging job of starting, running and operating a business, but now you're also doing a legal cannabis business where the model does not exist. Just like you said, everything that you were doing was trial and error, you know, to, to the biggest point, you had no models before, except for some of the things you might've been doing in the gray market, maybe some past job experience to bring in, but there was no set model. So, you know, I'm curious to know the, any business experience that you had leading up to it that you could apply and really what that was like for you, just that trial and error of like, we've got to make this work. Because to me, when I read the interviews, it seemed like you just, you tried something that didn't work. You tried something else and that worked. That was the way that it was. And, you know, and, and I love that pursuit as an entrepreneur, because I think so many people, and, and I want to promote the entrepreneur side of you. I think so many people 
are afraid of that failure that they don't realize that that's also part of learning, right? So to hear it from someone like you, and then we sit back and see the accomplishments you made. I love hearing those early on where it's like, you know, I started in this, I didn't know what we were doing. So we tried this and we tried that. I'd love to kind of hear your start at Harborside and, and the experiences that you had. Yeah, well, we were underground weed dealers and when and we were big wholesalers at one time uh, where we were selling literally a couple thousand pounds a month. Wow. So that's a lot. And so yeah. that, that you learn a lot about business <laughs> um, uh, uh, doing that. And um, you also learn a lot about how to hide from the world so you don't get caught doing it. Um, uh, and so that's where I got my business chops. And I learned a lot from my brother and my father. They were both entrepreneurs. So it was kind of in my blood. Um, and then the creative chops is what taught me how to iterate um and how or experiment um so and how to be with teams doing a live theater is very collaborative and you have to build a lot of trust with people and everybody has to play their role and and, and do it well and it all has to synchronize you know and um, that training really helped because a retail cannabis experience is not too different every day is a performance every day is uh interacting with the audience or the the, the, the customer or the patients in this case, in, in the early days of Harborside um, and um, figuring things out. I mean, every time you, 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 you do a production of Hamlet, yes, a whole bunch of productions of Hamlet have been done before, but you still have to figure out how to do Hamlet. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's a really hard thing to figure out. Uh, so um, the, that, that having to figure out things over and over again um, was good training for me to be in this environment where, oh, okay, we have to figure this out. So the combination, uh, the, it was just a really good combination. And, and um, you know, I've always, at least up until very, the last five or 10 years, you know, one of the main role I played in the band was sort of the rhythm sex, the rhythm guitar and the manager. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kept the trains running on time. Steve, Steve figured out, you know, how to build the better train. Um, and, and so that was, that was often how the dynamic worked, you know, with us, um, as would be typical <laughs> with our family story and just the older, younger brother dynamic, you know, and many family businesses that are run by brothers, it, 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 it it's often, one brother is a really good manager. The other brother is a really good visionary. Um, uh, and, 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 and then, you know, the manager is sort of develops their own ability to be the visionary and, and visionaries develop their own sort of managerial skills too. And you end up meeting in the middle at some points uh, in your career together. And, and so that's what we did. And, and, uh, but yeah, those early days, you know, we did have one, model, nonprofit sort of activist driven model, the Berkeley Patients Group, which I'm proud to say is still around. They're the, actually the oldest continually operating dispensary, I think is the Berkeley Patients Group, but, um, um, but they were a little bit of a model for us. They were, they were a run a lot differently than we ended up, you know, our vision ended up being a lot different than theirs, but 
but they did teach us a few things um, uh, that that we were able to build on. So we're all standing on the shoulders of somebody else. Berkeley Patients Group was standing on the shoulders of Dennis Perone and the early pioneers in, uh, of the me medical program in California and San Francisco. And, and, you know, and Dennis was standing on the shoulders of, 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 of people that came before him. So, and, you know, that, as you know, that's just how all, how, how it works. And it's something, yeah. to, it's something to cultivate and be proud of, you know, I'm, 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 we, we all should work as hard as we can to make our shoulders strong. So the future generations can stand upon them. Dude, I I love that story. And I mean, just watching your journey through Harborside and, you know, I think it was what in the last year or two, you decided that it was time for some new adventures. And like you just said, eventually the manager has the ability to become the visionary. And I look at the projects that you're doing now, and you certainly are a visionary at this point between the columns that you do for Playboy that, like I said, just the little short videos that you put on your Instagram, uh, the things you're doing for Last Prisoner Project. I know that you've got um, independent film projects in the works. And, you know, as much as that is the creative aspect of you, there's also the businessman behind making sure all that gets done and financed and everything else, you know, going from Harborside now, do you truly feel that cannabis has given you the ability to now completely control your journey in life that you really get to explore your passions and combine them all into these projects? I mean, you've, you've got so much stuff going on right now. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the stage of my career I'm in now is I can bring all these things together. You know, I, I, I when you run one company for as long as I did, um, you know, now I'm a consultant strategic advisor to the global cannabis industry. That's how I keep the lights on for the creative project and the last prisoner project, as you mentioned a moment ago, a nonprofit I started a couple of years ago, with Steve and others. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to build the industry now, um, and take all the lessons we learned, you know, we took Harborside public for lots of different reasons. And that was when, you know, I thought it was time to exit, um, because I, I don't know how to run public companies. And I thought I, I would have done the exact same thing. So yeah. <laughs> I think it was a and generally the investment bankers and the people who put up the, you know, $60 million to take us public um, wanted <laughs> that too. So, um, uh, and, you know, unfortunately that exit didn't turn out so good. We're still kind of crawling our way out of it. Um, like everybody in the, in the, in the public markets, the last a uh, couple of years, it's it's coming back now for everybody. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm and and Harborside's included in that, and we just raised another I don't know thirty some million to grow. Um, so I'm I'm very optimistic about Harborside's future, but I'm not doing. I'm just a shareholder now. I'm not part of the day to day at all. And and now I'm doing strategic advising and helping other people build their cannabis companies and 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 organizations, not just companies, but organizations. And, you know, doing a lot of work on the, on the social equity and legacy side too. And, 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 and what's I call ESG, which is a sort of a equity and sustainability governance um, movement that Steve and I are, you know, we have this, we have a bigger, in, we have a big, our inner industries going international and just, you know, just the packaging waste right now is out of control and we, we, we need to we need to do a better job with all that sort of thing so 
um, working on, on that too. Um, but, um, so yeah, people can reach me at andrewdangelo.com. They can reach last prisoner project at lastprisonerproject.org. And, um, you know, you can keep up with me or reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn and all, all the rest yeah, uh, of the platforms. But, um, uh, and I really, I, I, I you know, my life story lends itself to helping people and, um, and, and kind of helping folks solve difficult things and, and figure things out in, in real time, which sort of all of us are doing in this industry still. I mean, there's some models now that we can grab a hold of, but there's also a lot of bad public policy and just constraints all over the the place that we all have to, to navigate and manage uh, uh, either on our own or together. And it's, it's, so I like to help people do that. It, it's crazy to me. Cause I, you know, I've watched a lot of interviews with you for the show and, you know, you hear Steve talk and he's very high level, very macro. And then I hear you and you can go so deep on so many different topics, whether it's social equity, whether it's licensing, whether it's the legislation, around all these different propositions, whether it's, you know, the thought of, of federal legalization, what's going on in Mexico. I mean, so many different topics and you're just getting so granular. I mean, you know, you were a business leader, you're a thought leader. Who would have thought that the two brothers selling weed way back in the day would, would be icons, right? And I know that you're part of Global Go and I know you're involved with, with Paul Rosen there, which God, I would kill to be a fly on the wall in the conversation between the two of you guys would be incredible it's got to be a really cool feeling consulting globally for cannabis companies where you get to see what people have, where people have taken what you started. Right. So, you know, like you said, you start to see a lot of what you did at Harborside implemented across the industry. It's got to be really cool to, you know, and I heard you say you get to pick which companies you work for to, to really kind of cherry pick the really cool ones that you like, where, you know, you can add value and just see how far they've come you know, do, would you say, obviously I know it's a different experience. Harborside was your baby, your family was involved, but this has got to be a really cool experience kind of realizing the fruits of your labor and then helping people take it even further. Yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Global Go and Paul Rosen. It's a terrific group. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of them. That that's, that's the group I work with when we take things global or when people are trying to get into the industry and, and figure out their spot and their licensing, um, you know, I don't write applications for licenses, but global goes really, really good at that. And, um, so, uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm affiliated with another group called Regenibus, which does a similar thing on the ESG side on the, on the, <laughs> sustaina on the sustainability side. So, um, uh, uh, it's, 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 it is a great feeling to, after all this time of being an operational person, you know, you, you're able to elevate after years and years and years of perfecting operations, especially if you have partners like my brother, Steve, that um, also are mentoring and teaching and developing themselves and you along the way um you 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 get to a point where you can go all right now i i i people like paul rosen are reaching out and asking me to help them help others um and and so that felt really good to get that invite from from paul of course and 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 just to have people recognize that 
all the scars on my back are valuable things for them to, to, to tap into and to learn from. It is a really um, uplifting feeling after so many years of, of, of being um, sort of in a much different place with, with, with the stigma and, 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 the, and, and sort of having to emerge from, from all of that. So it's a really satisfying feeling. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be in this stage of my career. I'm still a relatively young man. So it's going to be the next few decades of my career. I'm really looking forward to because it's, it's, it's sort of prime time for me. I'm looking forward to it too. And, and I'll tell you exactly why is, you know, you, you, you went through Harborside, you could easily, especially with your credentials in this industry, just be a consultant, focus on business, live, you know, a little bit more of a relaxed life, but you've made it a mission to make this industry better and make it better for the people who it needs to be better for between last prisoner project, between the ESG stuff that you're doing. Um, we actually had Richard Delisi at the, the last cannabis lab conference down here in Florida. So you guys did great work with him and we got to meet him. He was at, I didn't get to go. I had COVID God forbid I would have given it to him. So I stayed home, but everybody else in C lab got to, got to meet him and do the meet and greet. And that was great. But now, you know, I look on your Instagram and, you're promoting uh, minority-owned and Black-owned businesses, really showcasing their products, those dispensaries. I mean, you don't need to do that. You don't have to, but you're doing it because you love this industry and you're trying to make it correct. That's why I see it's so important that you're still around. You know, in any other industry, you would probably just be a regular consultant. Hey, I did, I did my time. I, I built my company. You guys are all going to, and I don't mean this in a negative way, pay me a lot of money to hear what I have to say, but you say, okay, yes, I will be a consultant so I can keep the lights on, but I'm going to make sure that this industry is going to continue to advance. I, I, I got to imagine that's just the, the passion for the plant and the people who support it that, that drives you to do that because that's what we see. And it's incredible. You know, I love the brands that you're promoting. So, well, yeah, when you learn, um, when you, when you, when you grew up like, like we did, um, you 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 learn to to celebrate your your own community and um you know we, we i i i want there's people that have worked with this plant for a long time legacy people like me and steve people of color um black folks i i did a lot of those videos during black history month to showcase those businesses I showcase those brands all the time in my videos. I think it's really important that people need to know uh, how to support these businesses. And I, I really, I, I view that I'm just trying to um, celebrate and build trust. And, and um, the notion is someday can we put all this together and you know, present to consumers some kind of, you know, cannabis supply chain that um, includes these communities and, and that we can proudly say is, is carbon free, you know, neutral and sustainable. Can we build that and can we present that? And, and can we maybe get corporate cannabis to help us with that um, and, and maybe build a new kind of industry, not just a new industry? Because new, uh, building a new industry, go out to Silicon Valley and do that you know, there's so many things you can do, right, to build new industries and make money. 
Um, but but to build a new kind of industry is 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 a is another matter altogether. And you know, when you grow up in the shadows like I did, you have to learn how to get joy from something other than someone than you know transactions because your transactions yeah. are hidden. You don't get to celebrate your transactions. You don't get to buy a fancy car or a fancy house because you get busted if you buy one of those. Um, or uh, th that's how I <laughs> avoided getting busted. I didn't buy stuff like that. Um, uh, so um, so you don't you learn how to get joy from other things like helping others and like celebrating your community and like uh, legalizing weed and like um, you know. And, and once you learn how to get joy and meaning in your life from those things, what you find is that there's actually more joy and meaning in those things uh, than there is in, in the transactional things. And it's one of the things the plant taught me um, when I was really, really young um, and st first started smoking weed. It wasn't just about it opened my eyes up to all these different things that, that, that could be, um, and all these different possibilities that, 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 that could, could be not just playing sports and, um, uh, and not just doing transactions, even though I, one of the first things I did was sell weed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but it wasn't the, the, the person handed me the money that got me off on selling weed. What got me off on selling weed was, what happened to that person when they got the weed? Um, and, yeah. you know, that's what, you know, got me off on being a weed trader was not, oh, I, I made this money. It was, wow, look what happened to you. And look at how happy you are and grateful you are. And, you know, there's this thing happening between us that's quite uh, different than just a transaction. Um, so that, that, that was the thing that, that, that got me into it in the first place. And I think that, that, I think that's what one of the things the plant does. And it's one of the things our world needs to do is transactions are important, but they can't be the be end, be end of everything, be all and end all of everything. Um, and right yeah. now just, they are, and it's just, we're all working so hard and it's just in the world's not is is suffering more and more and the, the more people work hard uh, and engage in more and more transactions <laughs> and it's like this never-ending spiral and and yeah. so you know hopefully we're going to flood all of that with plant medicine <laughs> and you know change the paradigm no man I, I think you're right i think the internet kind of took the human element out of a lot of the transaction that we have and it made everything so high speed and so fast and you know when you look at just the the essence of cannabis when you're enjoying it with someone you're you're together you're sharing it you're slowing down you're taking a moment to, to stop and smell the roses and you know it's listen the internet's been great it, it's been a great tool for everybody for business for the world access to information it's done some bad things too but i think you know it's it, and I'll, I'll steal this statement from Rogan where he talks about processed information like processed food. I think we do need to take a step back and, and smell the roses and take some time to enjoy life. And, and I certainly think, and, and the pandemic has proved it, that cannabis fuels that, right? And, you know, 
with all the bad things that happened in the pandemic, I, I hope that it's given people enough time to reflect on their lives and what's important to them and, and to take a step back. And, and I think we've seen that with just the attention that our, our industry has gotten. Um, you know, I don't know if you have any input on that. Well, I hope, I hope you're right. I mean, slowing down is super critical for all of us to do. I am, I, I'm pretty aware human being, I'm pretty strung out on this thing. Um, uh, you know. Advice uh, to slow down coming from someone who has like 19 projects going I know, on right now. Exactly, right? We teach what we need to learn <laughs> um, in this strange way, right? And so, yeah, I'm, one of the things I need to learn is to slow down. One of the things I try to talk about is slowing down um, to, get through my own thick head as much as the listeners um, thick heads. We all have thick heads when it comes to this stuff. We're all strung out on the, the information feed. We, we all have the supercomputer behind us <laughs> that knows everything about us and is predicting what we're doing to, uh, next. Um, and so, you know, plants, medicine like cannabis can, you know, I take breaks throughout the day I try to slow down throughout the day. I try to, you know, maybe I smoke a little cannabis. Maybe I just go out and sit in the sun or maybe I take a meditation app. <laughs> Talk about yeah. being strung out on the phone. Um, I'll take a meditation app and do a guided meditation. But um, I, it, 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 it is something I do try to practice despite the fact that in many instances, I'm not quite that good at it yet um, uh, because my FOMO is, is, is greater than my, um, my slowing down. Uh, my fear of missing out is, is, is greater than my, my passion for slowing down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you get to do a lot of the things you love. So, you know, if, if you love filmmaking and everything else, it's not, you know, it's not a terrible thing. It, it shouldn't be too taxing. I know it's still quote unquote work, but you know, you, you, you were a man who was able to follow his passion and make a career out of that. And I think that's, you know, that's a model for, for anyone to really follow. Um, you know, Andrew, we've, we've been talking for almost an hour now. I've, I've really focused on, on your past and it, it's hard not to because you've done so much. Um, I, a, I'd probably need to have you back, not for another episode, but for like three or four, just because there's so much that you do, man. But give us a look or, or at least an opinion on some of the things you think might might happen this year, you know, and, and anything that might excite you on the horizon. I know you're working very hard on social equity projects, obviously still working hard on the last prisoner project. You've got the films, but just as an industry as a whole, you know, a lot of people with, with the democratic government in place thought that we might get to federal legalization faster. Um, I didn't, I, I, I I didn't. And it scares me because, you know, we, we see how all these individual programs have been set up. You're still someone who's trying to make them better. I won't say perfect them because perfection, I don't know, is achievable. So when we look at the federal government and the people who created the DMV and the people who are very reactive to everything, and I'll say the negative stuff, you don't have to. Um, do you think that we will see any kind of legislative improvements this year? Do you think that our industry is going to get any kind of leg up? What, what can you expect from 2021? Will it happen this year or right before the midterms in 2022? I think we get Safe Banking Act uh, before the midterms. I don't think we get much more than that. 
uh, at the yep. federal level. Um, and maybe, like you said, that might just be fine um, because the frameworks in all the states are pretty bad. And if the federal government follows the frameworks that the states have done, that it'll be bad. And it'll be yeah. really hard to change the federal framework. It is extremely hard to change the state frameworks. It'll be, it, it could take generations, um, to, yeah. you know, to change the federal uh, framework. So it's important to get it right uh, the first time or, or, or largely right, at least 80% right. We're going to follow the 80-20 rule. Um, I rather I hope it's 80% right, not 20% right. So um, yeah. right now it's in California, we're maybe 20% right, maybe um, we're 80% we're wrong. So, uh, but I do think we get safe banking. I think the Democrats, you know, will get that done, um, but it won't be easy because they have to survive the filibuster on that one. They're not going to be able to do that one with just a simple majority. Same thing with the uh, Moore Act. So they're going to have yeah. to get 60 votes in the Senate. That's just going to be very hard to do on the Moore Act. Don't see it happening. I do see it happening in banking um, because um, it's just it has a, a more bipartisan support. And um, and there's this other constituency called the banks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely want to see that, you know. Yeah. Hey, what if it works in our favor and it gives our it gives our industry access to to institutional capital and everything else, you know, or just a proper bank account without predatory rates? I, I think that's definitely a good thing. As much as you know, we don't want the banks really profiting off the the back of. Oh, sure we do. Sure we do, man. Let them profit off it uh, off of us. There's plenty of room for everybody. Um, uh, the banks got. I like that. Yeah, the banks got to be banks. Um, so that's fine. But 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 um, my point was, you know, they the politicians in the Senate listen to banks a lot more than they listen to cannabis people. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so I think we get that one done, whereas the Moore Act, we don't have a powerful constituency other than a bunch of activists <laughs> um, and the industry itself pushing for it. But we don't have a you know, we don't have another powerful constituent ally there we're starting to gather them you know labor unions are one and you know uh i hope environmental organizations are another and social justice social equity all these groups but you know that coming together is still very much a work in progress yeah man it, it's crazy you know I, I i hope you're right i would love to see the safe banking act pass um, you know, like I said before, listen, folks, I do want federal legalization. I just I want it done right. Um, and, you know, it's the government is not known for that. The states have not figured it out yet. So let's let's protect the individual markets. Let's figure out a model that works and then let's bring that to the federal government as much as it might delay the instant gratification we're all looking for. I think it'll be done right. And, and obviously, like something you're working on right now, there should be very much a social equity component of it. So, well, there is um, in the more act there is in the more act, but you know, okay. the more act is just, it's going to be hard to get 60 votes, man. I just don't, I don't yeah. know how you get 60 votes on that. It's going to be a war to get 60 votes for the banking, <laughs> but I think <laughs> the banks, I think the banks will get us 10, 10 Republican votes. Um, uh, uh, Cause you know, they will. But 
but yeah. the, the, but they might not. I mean, it could also, you're right. It could also fail. Um, and, you know, and, you know, the Democrats have some big priorities that they're trying to tackle right now. And cannabis just is not, I wouldn't say is in the top three or five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, um, for them, but us, it's number one, of course, for us, it's number one, but um, for them, it's different. Now, I, I would honestly just love to see, you know, and, and I don't know exactly what does this, whether it's descheduling or, or anything else like that, just the ability for, for universities and, and other scientific entities to do true research like, like Israel has done in this country. So you can literally, instead of us making, and I don't want to call them hypothetical arguments because they're very far from hypothetical, but when we can't have that official university research or anything else that has that dumb stamp approval on it to say, no, this is right, you know? And it's funny, I think maybe I was talking to Steve actually where, you know, when it, I want to say over in July in the pandemic, there's a study about CBD helping decrease the, the side effects or the, the um, symptoms the of, of COVID. Yeah, the entry, you know? the entry point in the lungs. Yes, yeah. CBD protects from that. So and you- I remember when I first read that article, my first thought, being in the industry, being an advocate, being a fan was, that's got to be bullshit. And then I see another article and I'm like, oh my God. And then I remember seeing an article today where they're actually doing trials over in Israel on giving COVID patients CB, you know, actual CBD tincture and they're seeing great oh, results. Really? I didn't and, know about after they get COVID. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The study in Canada indicated a preventative, it, that CBD was preventative and would help you prevent you from getting it. Um, uh, how many hardcore cannabis people? Well, you got it. Um, yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, so that's, you're one of the few hardcore cannabis people I know that got it. I'm, maybe I'm not that hardcore. No, I, <laughs> no, you honestly, take, you know, it's funny. You consume cannabis, right? CBD and other cannabinoids? Every day. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you're one of the first people I know who, who's a regular consumer that got COVID. So, so the funny story about that is, I probably say my symptom, you know, I was one of the few, I wouldn't say completely asymptomatic, but mostly asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just a little tired for about three days or so. Honestly, if, if somebody that I knew didn't say they tested positive, I would have never even went for the test and not known I had it. So, but because of that study, I went down to the dispensary and, and they had a one-to-one gummy and I'm like, well, it's got CBD in it and I shouldn't be you know, sparking it right now. So I got the one-to-one gummies and they were great. So I called that my COVID medication. All right. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Uh, Interesting. Um, I'm not recommending it as a doctor because I'm clearly not a medical professional. I mean, of course not. There's one study um, that we're referencing. Um, But, 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 you know, there's the, the Israelis in particular have done a lot. This plant's been studied. Um, the the yeah. problem is American science, for some reason, doesn't like to accept studies from other countries. <laughs> I don't know yeah, why. Man. There's sort of a nationalism to not just America. I think a lot of countries have, have that nationalism with science. Um, but um, and yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I would love to uh, unleash American researchers on cannabis. They, they're eager to do it. Um, and even, even more and more of it's happening now, they're all just going through the DEA red tape and, and somehow getting it done. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, it takes years and years and years and years. Um, and you got to get the weed from that terrible place in University of Mississippi. But um, um, that the feds grow, <laughs> that's <laughs> has like 3% THC in it. Um, yeah. It's like the worst dirt weed you've <laughs> ever smoked. Um, and that's they, what they provide to do the research. Um, and so it's like, ugh. Um, uh, but, um, but, but they're opening that up slowly, but surely a little bit. And, um, you know, I'd love to see that happen too, man. It, it, it would really accelerate cannabinoid research because America spends more money on that sort of thing than most, most other countries do. That's awesome, man. Well, I've, I've hijacked over an hour of your time, Andrew. It, <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I've got, I've got to say, man, the, the conversation with Steve, the conversation with you, you guys are so great, so humble, especially for how much you guys have accomplished it. It's been a pleasure. I wish we got to do this in person because I'd love to shake your hand and, and say hi, especially now that I'm safe. But um, yeah, man, we, we've got to do this again in, when I can get out to California or a conference or something. I, I'd love to sit down and talk to you again. Me too. I'm, I can't wait to be with everybody again. So thank you for having me virtually on the show. And it was a great conversation, Todd. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the next one. Absolutely, man. I know you, you did a little plug in the middle there, but before we let you go, let's get all the plugs out there where we can find you, where people can watch those videos, and then I'll let you sign off. All right. Well, all my social media is Andrew under slash D'Angelo. So that's IG and Twitter. AndrewD'Angelo.com is my personal website. You can email me there. And then uh, LinkedIn is just Andrew D'Angelo. So uh, lastprisonerproject.org. Um, and um, if you're interested in Harborside, shop Harborside.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you, everybody at home. It's been a pleasure. If you missed any part of this episode, it'll be live on our YouTube page on Monday at youtube.com slash elevate your grind. For all the great things that are coming up with Cannabis Lab, go to jointclab.com. You should definitely become a member. Come to our events. They're a great time. You're going to meet great like-minded people. Maybe we'll even get Andrew to an event in the future, folks. It's been a pleasure. We will be live again here tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern right here at facebook.com slash cannabis group. See you tomorrow, everyone. Bye.